is up everybody welcome to another episode of the not a real veteran podcast i'm will your host and i can't wait to see what my co-host name is today which is my favorite part of the week welcome pedro pan just for you bud just for me why i don't get it pedro pan that's your uh that's your creation your uh breakfast food Oh, yeah. I forgot about that completely. You have a phenomenal memory. I sure do. A Pedro Pan is a um, – hold on. What do I forget now? It's a peanut butter jelly sandwich. No, no, no. Am I warm? Yeah, you got one of the ingredients right. Peanut butter and honey. Uh-huh. On? I, a tortilla. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's where right. That's right. From. I ate that for a long time. Yeah, I ate that did. for a very long time. You remember uh, that okay, month cool. where basically your grocery bill was like $20 for a month because that's what you'd eat for breakfast and you'd have rice and beans the rest of the day? Maybe some hot dogs if you're getting very hungry. But yeah, I think your grocery bill is like $22 for an entire month. Yeah, you should have, should have seen my bill at Sauced on Paseo. That's where, <laughs> that's where the money was going for sure. Gotcha. Patricia loves Jack Casey, which is an excellent segue into our ad reads. Braxton, if you will. Uh, Tom for 52.com is the website for Thomas Queter, who is running for state Senate uh, out of what I'm guessing is the 52nd district in New York. Uh, so even if you are not a member of that district, if you can still uh, contribute to his campaign, you can still follow his campaign by checking out his website tom for 52.com there is no quit in queeter very well done very well done and crowned by gold book three of the royal green series thank you patricia for reminding us jack casey is awesome on thursday nights we say fuck jack casey but on wednesday nights we love jack casey so thank you jack casey for supporting our podcast and writing libertarian books Pedro. Two eyes, two ears, a chin, a mouth, ten fingers, two nipples, a butt, two kneecaps. I have just described to you the Alaskan raven and the reward for its capture, all the riches in Alaska. The Alaskan raven at Slit Crow on Facebook is a meme page. Top tier in quality memes. So, again, if you want to find them on Facebook, it is at Slick Crow and enjoy their memes. Very, very nice. And we've got James Toller for Kentucky. I forget the district he's running in, but he's running for Kentucky State House. People over politics, go to toller4ky.com. And seriously, Kentucky, if you guys would like to change the abbreviation of your state to KN, the rest of America supports it. The Coliseum oh, is, over. is on is Fridays, over. not necessarily every Friday, but when there's a Coliseum, <laughs> it's on Fridays as far as I know. And what the Coliseum is, it's the newest segment of from Not A Real Podcast Network, and uh, it's a debate. And uh, the last one was really good. Uh, maybe a surprise outcome, not to throw shade on uh, Tom Hickman, but it seemed like before the debate, uh, the chatter was everybody was excited uh, for Dan to spit some anarchy facts but after the debate the polls you know people thought uh sean won so um but regardless of who won regardless of everybody thought won it was obviously a great episode and if you haven't listened to it you can go back and find it 
Well said, sir. Well said. Even though it's in the past, it's still a great thing to go back and watch and share like all of our podcasts. And look, thank you, Jenny. Our next ad and last ad, redemptiontactical.com, with the code that Jenny posted in the comments so that you can get a discount and also let them know that we sent you. So thank you for supporting us. We have a really, really cool guest tonight who is usually on the flip side of the podcast. He's usually in the audience and in the comments, but we're going to bring him over to the dark side today and let him see the uh, the Matrix. So that's all I got. Welcome, Steve Witt. Hello, Internet. Steve, how many Libertarian podcasts have you been on today? Um, you guys are my first Libertarian podcast that I've actually been interviewed on and invited to speak with. Period. Oh, yeah. Period. That is awesome. We are popping your Libertarian podcast cherry, which yes. doesn't mean much. Doesn't mean a lot, but it's still, we're still happy to be here for this special moment. And we're happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm so, humbled. All right, man. Tell us, where did your journey with libertarianism begin? Um, Pretty much, I mean, I've been, I would consider myself a libertarian since I was in high school. Um, maybe even before that. I mean, my dad's always been pretty much independent, um, even though he leans conservative, highly conservative. But um, my dad voted for Ross Perot in the 90s. Um, if that tells you anything. Um, and then as for myself um, in high school, uh, a lot of people are going to hate me. But I mean, I, I went ahead and I watched a lot of Fox News, um, especially Glenn Beck back in the day and also Bill O'Reilly. Um, and then, you know, when Ron Paul, I started listening to Ron Paul back when he was a congressman, actually. Um, so I followed his you know career up until like when he ran for president uh, both times in 2008 and also in 2012. Um, and then in terms of like the libertarian party, I didn't really like know about the actual party until I was about, I'd say 18 to 19 years old. Um, and then I, I didn't go ahead and become a member though. Um, I just considered myself a, you know, a quote unquote libertarian, uh, in terms of my ideals, my principles, my morals. And, um, uh, yeah. And then basically when I turned 18 and I was able to, you know, start voting, um, I voted for libertarian candidates. So uh, the first time I was able to vote, I voted for it would have been uh, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. Um, wasn't a huge fan of uh, Bill Weld, but um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I did like Gary Johnson and I, I liked what he had to say. Um, one caveat to that, I'll just add in South Carolina, we have open primaries. Um, so. Uh, you don't actually have to be a registered libertarian or a registered Republican or a Democrat. So um, you can vote. You can only vote in one primary, but you're allowed to vote in either the Democrat or the Republican primary. So um, I did vote in the Republican primary um, when I turned 18. And then um, I voted for the libertarian candidate, though, um, uh, like I said, Gary Johnson at the time. And then when he ran again, I voted for Gary Johnson. And then uh, this past time I voted for, uh, Joe and Spike. So, Very nice. and then, and then, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, I just, you know, uh, I felt empowered to finally actually look into the party. And, um, I became a big L in terms of, uh, paying dues, uh, February of, uh, two, of 2021. That's awesome, man. Well, good for you for, coming on to the uh you know official part of the party but it sounds like you were really involved in the movement for a long time yeah um, i would say so 
Yeah, at least at least watching it, being a part of it as far as, you know, online, TV, things like that. It's funny that you mentioned Glenn Beck because, you know, you say that like it was a bad thing back whenever he was on Fox. And I mean, he's still on Fox, but back whenever he was a lot more conservative than he is now. But Glenn Beck made that transition with a lot of us to libertarianism. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you listen to him now and back in, in the days you're probably talking about before you were in high school. It's a very different Glenn Beck, but he's come to the light just like uh, a lot of us have. So. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, whenever he, he used to pull out the blackboard, you know, and be able to connect the dots with everything and, mm-hmm. you know, some of it, he would pull in uh, the conspiracies and whatnot. But then when you actually went and did your own research, which, you know, back then that was like the beginning days of Google and everything, but you'd start Googling everything and it's like, holy crap, like what is our government actually doing? And our government mm-hmm. is not good at all. So, yeah. and you know, and what surprised me with that is that, you know, he was a prominent figure back then. I mean, you're talking back in, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006. And, you know, it's like nobody like cared to even listen to what he had to say and look at where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. People still don't listen. More and more people are listening. Yes. I think that one thing we can't do with this movement is expect results overnight. And I think a lot of times people do that, especially in election season. You know, you've probably seen this cycle since you've been following everything for so long of boo and bust, where around election season, everybody gets really excited about libertarianism and a lot more of your friends are going to be excited about it. And then every time we we lose, you know, um, in the presidential election, which happens, of course, a lot, um, everybody seems to like kind of get disenchanted and angry and kind of leave and storm out and kind of uh, lose lose all their faith. But, you know, this isn't this isn't an overnight thing. This is a marathon. I mean, we're we're trying to change the culture and, and political face of America. And it's going to take a lot of time. Yep. Um, something I was yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like a microwave. This is a, you know, uh, uh, it's in the oven, like you said, and it's in a pressure cooker. So it, it takes time to develop it. 100% man. So um, something you said, I was really curious to talk to you about because here in Oklahoma, Braxton and I, we have closed primaries and our party always has a pretty good argument about that. Do you guys in South Carolina vote on that as an LP or is that something South Carolina kind of assigns to you? Um, you mean in terms of how it affects the LP party? Well, just who decides that they're open or closed? Um, that would be something that's been decided on um, in the state constitution. Huh. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd have to go and research it. I don't know exactly like, you know, that had to be after the Civil War when they redid the constitution and whatnot. Um, and then also in, what was it? 1973, when they did the, the voting rights act originally, um, they, you know, they just had it to where you don't have to be registered. Um, and then even in 1973, from what I've learned of the LP in South Carolina, um, we've had permanent ballot access the entire time. Um, the, yeah. So the, the only thing that we have to do is just make sure that legally, um, you know, the proper forms and everything have been filed with the secretary of state and uh, with the elections office. So could you vote in a Republican or a Democratic primary? Yes, um, you can only vote and you can only cast your ballot once. So you do have to make a choice whether or not you want to do the Democrat or the Republican. That's interesting. Yeah, Braxton and I here in Oklahoma, we don't we have closed primaries and our party actually decides that. So every year our chair of the Libertarian Party has to go and tell the attorney general of Oklahoma, or maybe it's the secretary of state, I can't remember, or whatever that is, but 
let them know that we want to be either closed or open. So we at convention vote on it and decide, and we've been closed for quite a long time. Um, how do you like it? Do you think open primaries are a good thing? Does, are the results good in South Carolina? What do you think? Um, I mean, since I've been voting since I was 18, um, I think that having open primaries is a good thing um, because it does give you options rather than being tied to an actual party. Um, however, what we're working on, and I'm, I don't know if you guys are working on it in Oklahoma, we are trying to push for better ballot South Carolina. Um, that's one organization that I'm starting to get familiar with, and we're trying to do ranked choice voting, um, like several states are starting to do throughout the country. And uh, I think that if we were to implement something like that, it would definitely give uh, the independents, you know, such as the Libertarian Party, like third parties and fourth, fifth, sixth parties and whatnot, a better chance at, you know, being able to win in the general election as opposed to, um, you know, taking third place. Yeah. 100%. Do you guys make a pretty big deal out of the Libertarian primaries? Do, does everybody get excited about it and show up? Well, we're such a small party that we don't do primaries for the for the LP in South Carolina. Okay. Um, but but when we go to state convention, um, if you are running for um, an actual state position, uh, they do have to uh, nominate you from the state convention. Um, so basically, the state committee has to approve it uh, to allow you to run. Although I will say this. Uh, if you're not an official member of the SCLP, you can still run as a quote unquote libertarian. You're just not acknowledged by the state party. Okay. That's really interesting. That's kind of a cool system, honestly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up something that you talked about too, just because I, I think it's interesting, kind of a weird gem for American political history. But you talked about your dad liking Ross Perot. What do you know about Ross Perot? Um, I mean, in terms of the history lesson, I know that the guy was a uh, businessman from Texas. Um, and then, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, when I was in uh, elementary school, I remember watching him debating and, you know, different TV shows that he would go on. And he would always talk about, you know, what the GDP was of the country and like how to run it as a business, as opposed to, you know, how we run it as a bureaucracy right now. And, um, you know, back then I was too young to fully understand what he meant by that. But I, I agree with the sentiment that, you know, if we were to run the government as a for-profit business, um, it would be, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we would be able to get a lot more accomplished and there wouldn't be as much, uh, uh, you know, putting up walls between the parties to prevent each other from doing things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, I forget what he ran as. Was he an independent? He was an independent, yes. Okay. I get him confused with Ralph Nader sometimes, but yeah, um, Ralph Ralph Nader was the Green Party. Yeah, that's right. Braxton, do you do you have you ever heard of Ross Perot? Yeah, man, I've heard of him. Um, let's see, was that against uh, was that Bush and Clinton that he was running against? Bush and Gore, I think. Um, oh, yeah. see, I was gonna say I get Gore and Perot mixed up, so I might no, be. He, no, he was running. No, Perot ran against. Um, he was against Clinton two different times, if I'm not mistaken, because. He oh. screwed the pooch the first time around because he went ahead and pulled out. But then the second time he ran um, during when uh, Clinton's reelection, um, he stayed in the game that time. But then he, he ended up losing. Was he the world's going to end because of climate change guy or is that Al Gore? That's Nader. That was no, that oh. was Al Gore. Oh, that's Al Gore. Yeah. OK, OK, OK. So, yeah, he's the businessman, the wealthy one. And But didn't he like uh, didn't he is he the one that bought all of those uh, commercial slots and had a 
chalkboard and was showing like how much money we wasted in taxes and where our money actually went and everything. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm halfway familiar. I don't remember it, and I've not uh, actually studied it, but uh, I'm halfway familiar. Yeah. That was Ross Perot. That was Ross Perot. That's interesting. Okay. Cool. I watched one time. I watched like I forget if it was on Larry King or what it was on, but somebody was doing like a special on him, and mm-hmm. I just thought it was so cool compared to today for them to like be sitting there interviewing the independent candidate. You know, I feel like they wouldn't do like a one hour special on a on a third party or an independent candidate anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, different world back then. It seemed like the news back then, even just that recently, actually wanted to give us the truth and not brainwash us with the narrative. And the, the one thing I remember as a kid, and I mean, and not really talking politics, but uh, all that, you know, on Nickelodeon actually made fun of Ross Perot back huh. in the day. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. you remember that. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm old enough, so. It's a great show. <laughs> yes. The original, the, the, the redo, uh, the redo one was okay. I mean, I was in high school when that one came out, but the original was the best. Okay. Um, I think so too. I like, I like the Amanda show too, but that was probably a little after you, honestly. Uh, no, I was, I was young enough for the Amanda show. Okay. Okay. But she, but Amanda Bynes came from the second, all that she was the original cast. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, tell us, who do you want to win the uh, LP presidency for 2024? Um, I, I mean, I, I'm a Spike guy all the way, man. I mean, he's a, uh, a he's becoming a personal friend of mine. Um, so I support Spike. Um, I think that he has the most consistent message. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most uh, loving message, the way that yeah. he you know comes off to people and meeting them where they're at. Um, and he doesn't like to stand off with people. So he always tries to come up with some type of solution. Um, you know, but, uh, like Jason Lyon, the quote that he uses from, uh, Thomas Sowell, you know, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. So, you know, in terms of, you know, coming to some sort of compromise, I think that, um, he's one of the best, uh, people for that. That's a really, really well said. Yeah, I agree. Are you Mises caucus, Steve? Um, I am Mises Caucus. Um, I joined that about uh, how many months ago now? Almost three months ago, I officially got into it. Um, okay. But I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm almost half tempted to denounce it because I'm not liking what's coming out of some of the New England states. Yeah, not at all. New Hampshire specifically. Uh, New Hampshire. Uh, some of the like messaging on the Massachusetts side with Mises and. Huh. Um, and then also I'm trying to think of one other state, uh, uh, maybe Vermont, Vermont, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just, you know, I know they're trying to do the whole like free state project up there and whatnot, but I mean, dude, like there is so much better way to do messaging as opposed to being inflammatory and saying stuff that's just, in my opinion, why would you offend people when you're trying to get more people on your side? Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I don't really, I know that Mises members post those things, but I don't necessarily um, see those members in their posts as the responsibility of the Mises caucus, you know, which is already a pretty loose organization, hard to kind of pin down Yeah, uh, to decide what, what it is, who represents it, you know, who speaks for it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try not to conflate those two things. But oh, no, same, I mean, you know, I, I don't either. I, 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 I believe me, I don't either, but I will say this. I mean, like 
because I've listened to debates before between Dave and, you know, against Spike. And, you know, and then you talk about, you know, uh, Dave Smith's podcast and whatnot. And it's like, dude, you've got like millions of listeners, right? So you're talking about millions of people that you can influence. And then you're going to just say something that's completely off the wall and uh, offend, you know, the, uh, it, yeah, it's just offensive, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just not cool with it. So what kind of things specifically are, you know, bother you the most? Um, I think one of the biggest things right now that's been going on online is like the whole thing with Martha, uh, Martha Bueno, Uh um, with her like walking away, especially like with Florida having such a strong, um, Mises caucus, um, you know, uh, presence, a lot. Yeah. Presence down there. And the fact that like, you know, some a-hole went ahead and body shammed her and then, you know, doesn't like the fact that she goes ahead and promotes, uh, Cubans when Cubans are under the oppression of communism and you're going to go ahead and not allow her to like, you know, speak her mind to yeah. go ahead and, you know, try to uplift the Cubans and what they, what they're going through. That's yeah. just plain wrong. So I, I, I saw some stuff relating to that today and I tried to find on her Facebook and Twitter and stuff where she had like up and said, I'm leaving the libertarian party. Um, so how, what is this like? Where did she announce this? Um, I mean, okay. So the the one, I don't think she announced it because I mean, um, I know that the Florida LP for their convention that's coming up, um, it's named after her. Right. So, um, but in terms of like disassociating, I think she's trying to disassociate from perhaps some ACES people and not the LP in general, but I'm, I'm kind of like back. I don't know. I haven't found anything of you. No, no, but, um, that's interesting. It's hard. It's hard when you're in a group and other members of your group start acting like like idiots and then you yes. kind of have to, you know, take their responsibility indirectly and take blame for it. Correct. Um, yeah, it's hard for me, man. I really like a lot of the ideas of the Mises Caucus, especially I like the concept that just because you believe in closed borders or just because you're pro-life doesn't mean you're not a libertarian. I like that concept. Yeah. So well, I, I like the Mises I, for that. Well, I mean, if, if you listen to the debate when, you know, Dave and uh, Spike debated on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I haven't uh, yet. I haven't yeah, listened I, to it. I listened, I listened to the full two hours. And um, I think, you know, when they say that we're going to be 100% closed borders, I don't think they mean what they say. You sure. know what I mean? So, like, because here's my whole thing. So, I mean, and I don't know, like, what everybody's history is that's listening in on the podcast or whatnot. I know like just my family's history, right? So my family didn't come over until like the 1910s and we came over from uh, from Italy. We came over from Sicily, right? So we all, my family members had to go through Ellis Island and that's where they went ahead and immigrated through. And then they became United States citizens, you know, uh, after going through the process, you know, five, seven years and whatnot. So me personally, the way that I look at it, I don't mind if you come over here And, you know, if you were to go ahead and come through a port of entry like that and do what you have to do to become um, assimilated into our culture, then I have no problem with you working over here. The big thing that I think what we need to do is we need to go ahead and, um, you know, eliminate the IRS, eliminate taxes and not support these people. I mean, I know like people say, oh, oh, they're not supported and whatnot, but maybe I'm wrong 
Um, but I mean, you know, just from listening to that debate with Dave and, and Spike and then also like other things that I've researched, it's like they're still out here, you know, grabbing money that, you know, a hundred, there's only 150 million taxpayers in the United States. And what was the, um, uh, last year when they went ahead and added it up, it was like only 40% of 150 million people actually paid into the system. So if I'm one of those taxpayers, right. Why do I have to support the other 330, 350 million people in the United States? Uh So yeah, I want to be able to keep all of my money. You know what I'm saying? Like if I want to volunteer, if I want to volunteer and help, you know, organizations, if I didn't pay taxes, like I can, I mean, uh, an example of like just my paycheck, right? So my federal taxes alone each week are almost $70 goes straight to the federal government, straight, you know, straight out of taxes. So if I was able to keep that $70, I could decide what I want to do with that money, not the government, you know, taking it from me and doing whatever they do with it. 100%. They do terrible things with it, but you absolutely definitely be more generous and more likely to help others out if we didn't have um, that force in place. And also, yep. you know, it's sad because even the things that like benefit people like the welfare systems and things like that, they kind of they might benefit people in the short term, but they don't really benefit people in the long term necessarily, especially over, you know, decades and decades and generations. Correct. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for giving the people, you know, giving people a hand, you know, a hand up. I don't want to give them a hand out. So I want to be able to, um, you know, teach the man to fish as opposed to. Here, mm-hmm. let me fish for you, and here's a fish. Now you're going to have to come back to me for that fish every time as opposed to you learning how to do it on your own. Yeah, well said. So let's talk about – hit on your uh, your libertarianism journey, um, some of your beliefs, that kind of thing. Let's talk about your military journey. So yeah, military? Um, military journey, um, I actually wanted to join the military right out of high school, um, but my mom talked me out of it. And uh, she always gives me crap whenever I say that. But, uh, yeah, uh, when I was 18, I, I looked into going into the Navy originally, and um, um, she talked me out of it. And then I ended up applying for school, um, tried going to school. School really wasn't my thing. And then I, I worked for a few years. And then my uh, buddy, he was working with me at Best Buy at the time, Josh, um, he was in the ROTC program over at Coastal Carolina, um, which is one of our local universities. And... Um, uh, he was doing the national guard also. And he's like, Oh yeah, man, they'll pay for you to go to school, you know, and you can go back to college and whatnot. So that was like the hook that got me in. Right. So, um, I went and I did my, um, swore my oath on, uh, May 22nd of 2010. And then, um, I ended up, uh, with the national guard, you don't have to go straight into basic once you swear your oath. So I ended up waiting, I think like two or three months, before I went to basic and then I ended up going to basic, uh, at Fort Jackson. Um, so I was at Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina. And nice. then I went, say what? That's nice. Close to home at least. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, yeah. Columbia is only two and a half hours from the house. So, um, but yeah, I went to Fort Jackson. Um, and then from Fort Jackson, I was a, a 25 uniform, <coughs> excuse me. Um, 25 uniform, which is a signal systems, um, uh, specialists and um so your ait when you do camo is in uh fort gordon in augusta georgia um so i was down in augusta for my ait and then uh graduated my ait uh came back to my unit uh my unit was uh 
4th Battalion, Headquarters and Headquarters Company, 118th Infantry Division for the South Carolina Army National Guard, uh, showed up to my unit, met my commander, and I, you know, started saying, hey, I want to go back to school, you know, this is what my plans are and whatnot, and first words out of his mouth was, don't even register for school because in the next like four months you're going on deployment to Afghanistan. So I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, is there any way that I can go on um, rear detachment? And he was like, nope, can't go on rear detachment because we need you as part of the numbers. So I was like, okay. And so um, our, our unit ended up going to uh, NTC in, in October of that year. Um, which is out in uh, Fort Irwin in California over there in Barstow. What and is when you're that? at do what? What is NTC for us Air Force guys? Um, National Training Center. What what do you do there? Um yeah, you, you do desert warfare training essentially mm-hmm. is what's out there in Barstow. Um so we were out there for when you're when you go out there, you're out there for a month. Uh so you spend uh how many weeks? Like three and a half weeks in the field. And so we were in the field and, uh, because of me being Camo, you know, I'm, I'm over here with battalion and I, I just run all the communications, essentially, you know, all the radios and setting up the computers and the telephone lines and doing sat connections and whatnot. And, um, uh, so that was pretty cool being out there in the desert. And then we, we got done, we go back home and then in November, this was like the second week in November, we go back to drill and, um, they gave us our score and the score was so low from NTC that they said to us, literally, if you go to Afghanistan, you will die. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, and so they, they canceled the mission to Afghanistan because of NTC. And so, but I'm working now, now mind you, I'm national guard, right? So I'm like, I have a full-time civilian job and everything working at Best Buy at the time. So, I had already gone, like, I was about to do a leave of absence, which you can legally do that and, you know, come back to your job as long as they hold, you know, whatever your position or not your exact position, but a similar position when you come back. Well, these jackasses in my unit decide that, oh, we're going to be going over to the box. So we're going to be making, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. So let me go ahead and quit my job. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, you know, and, um, you know, quit my job and not have anything to come back to and, you know, try to go active duty while I'm over here, as opposed to just coming back home. And I'm like, why the hell would you do this? People, you can yeah. go on a leave of absence legally and come back to your job. So yeah. like the majority of the unit, and I'm talking like, not just like headquarters, but like alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and even, um, uh, whatever the, the field uh, company is that helps out with supply and whatnot they like you know they did their thing and so uh what they ended up doing at the time was adjutant adjutant general uh livingston uh went ahead and found us another mission because i guess an active duty unit had uh something happened with them and they weren't able to go so we ended up getting a mission to go over to kuwait and um we you know, did our pre-mobilization for Kuwait, got our orders and everything, uh, went down to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, down to, uh, what's the name of it, Camp Shelby. And so we were down in uh, Camp Shelby for about two and a half months or so. And then we deployed from Camp Shelby, flew over to Kuwait, 
And then uh, they were telling us the whole time, oh, you guys are going to be on – did I lose you? We lost Will. Um, yeah, just Will. You're good, man. Keep going. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so um, uh, uh, got over to Kuwait, and then they told us, oh, you're not on a 12-month deployment. You're only going to do a nine-month deployment. And so, um, you know, we were over there for nine months. And uh, while I was over there, I didn't even do my actual job. I was doing the emergency operations center uh, on Camp Buring. So I was really? stationed. On, yeah. Um, so I was stationed in the EOC on Camp Buring, which is Udari Airfield. Uh, the Marines use it, uh, not really the Air Force, but the Marines, the Army. And then pretty much like when you go to Kuwait, you've got Arif John which is down in Kuwait city, which is the, the capital city. And then if you're going up into Iraq, you had to pass through camp Buring to go to, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, Udari, Cro- Udari crossing. No, I'm sorry. Udari airfield was our airfield. Cavery crossing is where you cross over into Iraq. So we were like, I want to say 10 miles from the border of Iraq. Um, so, but mind you, this is in 2011. So fast forward from the beginning of deployment to um, when ambassador, it's September 11th, right? So when September 11th of 2011 happened, when Chris Stevens uh, was murdered over in uh, Libya, Benghazi, Libya, uh, my unit, uh, 4th Battalion, was actually one of the QRF response forces for the region and Damn. we were we were about to like my not me personally but some of my some of the other companies were being um you know told hey we're going to move into libya and you know be support for these guys and we were going to go over there and kick their butt and uh-huh. then you know pretty much like you know what happened on the news you know they said you know uh president obama and secretary of state clinton at the time went ahead and said, you know, stand down. And yep. they told General Ham, General Ham, who was over Africon, to stand down. This this might be kicked off the air for that, but I'm telling the truth. So and when I was in the EOC, like I was under, like I had Cipernet and Nippernet in my office. So yep. I've seen, I saw communications and uh, basically like all of the countries that were over in the Middle East, we we're told that within like a 24 to 30 hour period that we were going to have all of our uh, ambassadors come to Camp Buring, move them down to uh, Arab John and fly them back to the United States. So that was part of our mission when I was over there during September 11th. But then like within, I'd say a day and a half, maybe 36, 48 hours, um, they went ahead and, scrapped that like it was nothing but the thing about it is that they also didn't broadcast like that was during the arab spring so you know all of these countries all of their governments and everything with the um it wasn't isis at the time um but i'm trying to uh uh who's that other terrorist group that we were fighting ISIL? al-qaeda uh al-qaeda yeah al-qaeda isil and uh one other ones they all oh, like man. Yeah, and the Muslim Brotherhood, like, they all rose up against every single one of, like, the parliaments that are over there. And when they rose up against their parliaments, man, like, they, like, we, Afrikan and everything, like, locked all of the bases down in uh, the Middle East. And we weren't allowed to leave our bases. And you weren't allowed to travel on the roads. We were under black roads for pretty much the remainder of the time I was over there and whatnot. And um, 
for Kuwait, I know that the um, uh, he what is he considered the whoever like the sheik or like the prince of Kuwait is. He actually uh, dismantled parliament while we were over there. So like they didn't actually have a government for like several months. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah. So um, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, is that, you know, with the Gulf War and everything that happened in the 90s, um, you know, and that's a, here's another thing, too. And I mean, and you can look this up. And I mean, most military people probably know this also. But, you know, the Kuwaitis in the before the Gulf War, when Saddam Hussein decided to attack them, the Kuwaitis were stealing oil from Iraq. So they oh, were yeah. Doing, yeah, they were doing sideways drilling into the country and siphoning off oil from Iraq. So, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Saddam Hussein in terms of what he did with his people, but technically he had every right to go over there and say, hey, I'm going to get my shit back because y'all are stealing it. You know what I mean? So, you know, um, that happened in the 90s. And then, you know, uh, Bush, you know, tried to, you know, he finished the job. And then Obama's over here making piss poor decisions and everything while I was in. And, yeah, it was just a, a shit show. And then we, we left there in December and came back home. And I pretty much I served about another year, year and a half, and then got out after that. Hell yeah, man. How do you feel like your service and time in influenced your beliefs now and your political philosophy? Um, seeing how it works on the inside, um, it sucks. <laughs> so once again, I mean, like, you know, like I was touching on with Ross Perot, um, if the government was a for-profit company, they would constantly, constantly be in the red. So mm -hmm. one of the things with the state of South Carolina, and this is with the National Guard, so you're given a budget every year, right? And if you don't spend the money that's allocated to your unit, they can actually go ahead and pull those funds from you mm -hmm. and not give them to your unit. So you're actually forced to spend money that doesn't necessarily need, necessarily need to be spent. You got to between pairs or copiers? I was thinking that. It's an episode of The Office, The Surplus. Yeah, Why don't you yeah. explain this to me like I'm five? Yep. So – um, well, I mean, like they went ahead and bought like all new tents for the talk, right? So like our battalion setup and everything, we had these older style tents that were, I'm not going to say that they were, you know, perfect, but I mean, they did the job, you know what I mean? But then they went ahead and, um, Hey, Hey, what's going on bootleg? Um, but anyways, yeah, man. Um, you know, so we went ahead and bought all new tents for the talk. And then they also like, you know, spent some other money that like I knew that they were spending on all like why you know what i mean like this is just a complete waste when you could go ahead and you know either up the pay of the people that are here or you know do something better with that money mm -hmm. 100%. so for, for me it's more of like a, a fiscal thing um i mean and now in terms of like being around people from like you know all kinds of different nationalities creeds races uh gender and whatnot um i went in when i was 22 so um, you know, going through basic and going through my AIT, I mean, I met people from all over the United States. I met, you know, other people from different parts of the world. Like we had a Venezuelan people in there. Um, we had people from Mexico. Excuse me. We had people from um, El Salvador. Um, I think we had a Puerto Rican. Uh, then we also had 
uh, an Iraqi citizen who was, he ended up being a translator and I'm still friends with him on Facebook. Um, and, uh, trying to think, uh, we also had a Pakistani person, uh, that was trying to become a U.S. citizen, um, and uh, an Indian and a Chinese person who was, uh, trying to get their citizenship. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I've served with all different types of people and then in all different walks of life too, you know, because, um, you know, a lot of the people that were going in, uh, you know, they're either fresh out of high school, don't know anything about the world or, you know, they had lived a few years like I had and, you know, they're coming from these different parts of the country and they're coming from, you know, bad, most of the majority of them were coming out of bad situations. I'm not going to lie. So I don't know how it was for you guys when you all went through, but, um, in the army, I would say a, a good majority of the people going through are they're they're not in the best place in life. Um, so they're using the military to, you know, better themselves. So I, I respect that a lot. Um, and, um, made some really good friends out of it. Oh yeah, man. Same, same. That's awesome. So how do you feel like we, cause you're a veteran caucus member and have been a part of it pretty much since the beginning. So yeah. how do you feel like we can reach more veterans and how do you feel like we can send our message to them? Um, the, the one thing that my dad says, I mean, my dad's a veteran too. So, I mean, I, I come from a long line of veterans in my family. Um, my dad served in the, in the Navy. Uh, and right now, I mean, just to tell you a little bit about my dad, um, I don't know if he's watching or not, uh, but my dad's name is Will Witt. Um, he injured his back when he was in the Navy. So he was a uh, boiler room technician and him and they were doing a team lift on a valve and the valve was like 300 pounds. And, um, he ended up herniating, uh, two discs in his back. And, um, you know, uh, when he did that at the time, they went ahead and they got him off ship. Um, they sent them over to Bethesda military hospital in Maryland. Um, then they, uh, went ahead and they fixed them, but they didn't fully fix them. You know what I mean? So they, they, I'm going to say that you kind of put a patch on them because, uh, the pain and everything that he's had to deal with his entire life has never gone away. Now, I mean, like his experience with the VA hasn't been as bad as some other people, obviously. Um, but he's had to battle every step of the way. And he's, he's had to be, he's had to be his own advocate, um, you know, with his doctors and whatnot throughout the years, you know, coming from Maryland and then, you know, moving all of his records and everything down to South Carolina, because, um, you know, and the, the crazy thing about it, and I'm, I don't know if you guys can attest to it or not, if you guys use the VA system, um, but your records, uh, and I'm going to tie this in with active duty also, your TRICARE records don't seamlessly transition over to the VA, right? So you've actually got to go ahead and get your medical jacket from active duty from like your 42 alphas and whatnot. That would be for the, the army, but your 42 alpha people and bring your medical jacket to the VA so that they can keep your paperwork, um, you know, congruent, um, for the VA. And, you know, it's just, it's a pain in the butt. I mean, now granted, I think a lot of it has gotten better over the years with my healthy vet and whatnot. And then, um, when Trump was in office, the one thing I can say is that, uh, he did go ahead and pass, uh, that bill that allows, um, veterans to go to outside doctors. Uh -huh. So, yeah. So, you know, um, now you can go to a local doc, you know, a local physician, if you're not near a VA facility, um, you just have to request it. So, um, but I, I think that 
um, you know, the one thing that Spike says all the time, and I and I agree with it, is, you know, why not just give that money that's already allocated to the veteran and, you know, be able to use that money, you know, for your health care needs as you see fit. So say, for instance, if the VA is backed up, you can go elsewhere and receive the care that you need. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I think that that's the right way to handle it. Pretty much privatize as much of it as you can. I don't yep. think there need to be VA hospitals necessarily. But we got to get government out of healthcare in general because honestly, the normal hospitals are not that much better anymore. The yep. way the health insurance works and has completely clogged up the system. Yep. Oh, I mean, it's it's a complete it's a complete Ponzi scheme, dude. Yeah, it I is. mean, it, you exactly know, what it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, um, granted, I'm with the VA now, you know, so I haven't had to have you know pay for private healthcare in years. But when I was working, um, you know, and I had private health insurance, you, you know, it's eighty twenty, right? So you've got to meet. 80% of your deductible, or you got to meet hundred percent of your deductible before they'll pay, you know, the additional, um, hundred percent. And it's like, sure. what the hell It's like, why am I paying this high premium and I don't even use it? You know, I'm a healthy person. So, I mean, the, the way I look at it personally, I think that talking about healthcare in general, I think people should be able to go directly to whoever their physician is, you know, whether it's just a regular family doctor or a specialty doctor. And, you know, that doctor should be able to say, okay, here's my rate for doing X service. Right. And then that should be, that should be transparent and you should be able to say, okay, I can afford that, you know, Mm -hmm. or if you can't afford it all up front, you work out a payment system with the doctor so that you can, pay for that service over time as opposed to, oh, let's go ahead and we have to code this, you know, based off of what the insurance company wants. And if it doesn't match what the insurance company wants, we're going to go ahead and deny it. And then we're going to screw you anyways on the back end. 100%. It's a, it's a really screwed up system, man. I wish we'd go back to like just a cash market and insurance has its place, you know, to prevent bankruptcy essentially for those emergencies. Cause even on a cash mm-hmm. market, you could have a heart attack, you know, you could need surgery, you could need a lot of things that cost a yeah. lot of money. Well, um, the way insurance works yeah. now is they negotiate with the hospitals, with the physicians and all the providers and decide the prices of everything. That's that's sick. Like that's that's price controlling. That that should be illegal. Yeah. It's illegal in pretty much every other industry, but our government oh, yeah. enables it in healthcare. Yep. And I Hey, I, I agree with you. I mean, like I said, I mean, it it can be beneficial, but the way that it's being used currently and has been being used since, uh, I mean, how far back are we talking? Probably back, going back to the, the you know, the late 50s or 60s, you know, after the World War II. And it's like, you know, but since then, because of inflation, and I mean, this all ties together, that the prices have just gone up exponentially to where, you know, people can't even afford it anymore. But Seriously. yet, but yet before that, you used to be able to make a house call, you know, call a doctor and have them come directly to your house and treat you in your house. Mm-hmm. Why can't we go back to that? I mean, really, I know that there, there, you know, there's organizations out there that are trying to bring that back, but they're still semi tied in with insurance and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They are. Most of them are that do do that. Um, yeah, it sucks, man. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to fix it, but I know we needed something to overhaul the system. Yeah. What sucks is Obamacare really has a lot of responsibility here because the health insurance system has been broken for a long time as far as the insurers actually deciding the regulations and controlling the prices and things like that. But Obamacare made it way, way, way more expensive for people like you and I. Oh, absolutely. 
all of a sudden, all insurance companies have to accept people no matter what, which means their rates are going to go up. You know, in the old days, you could have based on your health conditions, kind of an applicable rate. And if you stayed with the company your whole life, it wouldn't matter because if you were healthy at 18, they'd have to take care of you no matter what. Yep. But now they have to accept everybody. They have to offer all of these extra benefits that are really great for your like your routine shit. But then whenever you're paying for it on a monthly basis and it's like $350, it really sucks. And that's, you know, Absolutely. maternity benefits. Insurance companies have to cover maternity. So the plan you and I have and the plan a woman has who's our age is the exact same price, except that she has a maternity benefit and we don't because we don't need it. But everyone has to pay for it. Um, same with tons Correct. of things. It's like the free primary care visit you get every year. That's something Obama implemented. And that's supposed to be like a great thing. Like, yeah, everybody's got a free visit. Well, now all of us have a higher insurance premium because we're all paying for a free visit. Like I go, Correct. I need to go to the doctor when I'm sick, not when I'm healthy. Um, I'm not 60, you know, but yep. Um, not that there's not some merit to going to the doctor when you don't need to and just getting a checkup, but it's like um, Obamacare really the insurance insurance was already a broken system. Healthcare in general in America was already broken, and he just you know put a knee on its neck for lack of better words. Oh yeah, I mean, and then you know with the Supreme Court upholding it, especially um, uh, uh, now I, I'm drawing a blank. Who's the the one Supreme? Um, oh man. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? The one guy who like kind of flips back and forth. Yeah. Conservative and liberal. Name, yeah. yeah. You know, with him saying, oh, it's not a tax. We're allowed to do this with you. Like, bullshit, dude. Like, right. you just went ahead and added on an extra it tax. Is a tax. They had to say that it was a tax. Yes. Well, oh, but then yeah, later, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, but they're still fighting that, though. You know yeah. what I mean? So, oh. like, you know, um, Trump took that away for like the past couple of years or whatever, but supposedly when you go to file your taxes in the next month or two, it's going to be back on there. The, uh, the man, you have to claim it. That you have to have it. I don't know if you have to have it, but if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure you have to claim it. Okay. I haven't heard that yet, but interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're actually, we've had Steve on for a while now. What questions do you have for him? Um, Man, we actually talked about well. So Stevens a trucker, which yes. is pretty cool. Um, I was wondering why where you're sitting. Are you in your sleeper right now? Yeah, I'm in the sleeper. How'd you not know that about him? First Show of us. all, Show us. Second of all, I come from a, a family of truckers, although not a lot of truckers. My great grandpa was, and my great uncle, and Will has some experience in that realm. When he was working for the CIA, they had a front uh, that was TBS Logistics, and uh, it took him like seventeen times to explain to me exactly uh, what role he filled there. But it's pretty cool, and Will just likes uh, semi trucks, anyways. But um, I was talking to Stephen about it uh, before the show because yep. uh, very recently the transportation secretary. I call him Mayor Pete because I have a terrible time saying Pete Buttigieg. Um, he was being interviewed and he was Buttigieg. talking about Buttigieg, that guy. That guy. Um, he was talking about, you know, one of the situations we're facing right now is that uh, specifically with the ports being backed up and all that stuff. One of the huge problems is most truckers, the overwhelming majority, they don't get paid by the hour. You know, they get paid by the load or the mile. So um, yeah. while they're sitting around for hours and hours and hours waiting for their stuff to be loaded, no they're money. not getting paid, which That's is terrible. Right. And yeah. uh, Stephen's post was, you know, I, I don't agree with him on, you know, 99% of things, but he's right about this. But what I was thinking is the reason that uh, Mayor Pete feels so comfortable, you know, saying that is because uh, eventually I think their plan is to switch to autonomous trucking, um, a la Andrew Yang. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to jump in there, um, yeah, autonomous trucks, like we were talking about before the show, they are here. Um, me personally, I have not seen them um, so much on the East Coast or Southeast Regional. Um, the, the, the problem with autonomous trucks right now, just like with, you know, Teslas with autopilots and whatnot, there's too many variables on the road to mm-hmm. just allow them to, uh, you know, be able to do all of the all of the complex maneuvers that we do as a driver sitting in the seat. Right. So they're good for getting, you know, in straight lines and whatnot. But then once you get off of the main highway, someone's got to be behind that wheel, at least to make sure that the truck doesn't make a mistake you know, and run a vehicle over or run a pedestrian, you know, off of a sidewalk and, you know, vice versa, or like getting into a place and, you know, not having the trailer fall in the ditch or something. So, you know, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, going straight. I mean, and then also like backing up, like backing up is very complex, especially like doing, you know, a 90 degree backing and whatnot. I mean, um, (laughs) I, I just, from what different videos I've seen, it's improving, but it's not there yet. So gotcha. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that's the entire thing. Andrew Yang ran on was universal basic income for the reason that, you know, one of the biggest jobs in America trucking, he believes is going to be, uh, they're going to do away with, you know, human truckers. I can't remember his timeline. Um, but you know, I definitely believe what you're saying about the technology because the Tesla autopilot is far from perfect. And uh, like you're saying, there's a lot less variables and stuff like that. But Andrew Yang was talking about just he thinks it is a uh, he thinks it's absolutely going to happen. Just the amount of money they're going to save. And he actually speculates that, you know, like on the highways and interstates, there's going to be a trucking lane so that they can all draft off of each other. So it's basically a train. And yeah. uh, if you watch the movie Logan, you actually see that, which is sort of cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that also. I mean, because what were they? I read an article. I mean, I've only been trucking now for about five years, so I mean, um, I know uh, uh, Joe got sucked. He's watching Joe Vasquez, uh, Blunt Freedom. Anyways, hey, what's up, Joe? I know you're a trucker too, so I mean, but you don't, you haven't done it in a while. But um, just to speak from my experience over the past five years, um, the or and also different things I've read. I know in Virginia. Um, interstate 81, which that's, um, that's the interstate that goes north and south on the very far west side of Virginia and actually cuts down over by, um, where bootleg lives, um, going in that direction. And then it goes all the way up into, uh, the new England States. Mm -hmm. They were talking about adding a trucking lane there. And then they were also talking about adding one on, uh, interstate 64. Um, but as, as in terms to like, all of the interstates and U.S. highways getting one. I haven't really heard that much about it. Um, I mean, I think it's a it's an okay concept, but I mean, you got to look at it like this also. So, like, if you if you're an owner operator and you're driving in an ungoverned truck, right? So, if you want to put the hammer down and you want to get up to you know, let's say eighty to ninety miles per hour, I'm not saying that that would be the smartest thing to do in a truck, but if you wanted to go that fast why would you want to be restricted to a truck lane as opposed to being able to use all the lanes to, you know, go around traffic? Yeah. So, but, but, but but I think, I don't think that for long hauls, um, I don't think that for, let me rephrase that short hauls, um, and final mile stuff, 
you're not going to see a whole lot of automation, maybe for long haul trucking um, mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, anything that would be over, let's say 175 or 250 miles, you might see that. But um, like I said, it, it's, it's just not there. And when it does come, you know, when it does come, you're still going to need to have somebody sitting behind the wheel monitoring what the truck's doing. Yeah. Word. Well, man, I hate to cut it off, but we are coming up to an hour. Do you have anything you would like to plug, Steve? Um, not I mean, the, the only thing I can really plug. I'm only on Facebook, so I don't really do um, any other social networks. Um, for my county, I am from uh, Horry County, South Carolina. So that's H O R R Y County, uh, Horry County Republic. Yeah. The Libertarian Party. I'm an idiot. The Horry County Libertarian Party Facebook page. Um, if you want to go check that out, I'm a, I am the admin of it, um, as well as our group. Um, and um, then you can just add me if you want to on Facebook. Um, if you're friends with other libertarians, you probably have already seen me in your ad friends list. Um, Stephen Andrew Witt. Um, I have an original profile going all the way back to 2006, but I locked myself out of that one and I had to create a new one in 2008. So I've had this profile now since 2008 and recently I've gotten a couple bands. Um, and then I've also been put on, uh, 90 days where they drop me lower in the newsfeed. So if you haven't been seeing me a lot lately, it's because I'm dropped down in the newsfeed right now. And that was from Sharon, um, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, articles. Oh, the Lord's work, well, man. Yeah, exactly. Doing God's work. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you for being on, bro. We always appreciate you for watching and supporting and, and just fighting for liberty, man. So uh, anything you need from us, very much. Anytime. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, this has been fun. Um, hopefully I can get on some other podcasts now and, you know, help spread the message of liberty and uh, just get people interested. I mean, the, the, the big one last thing, I mean, um, like Bootleg said, um, not on this week's episode, but on last week, you know, it, don't be the one behind the computer screen, get out there and do the actual work, you know, yeah. go out, go out to your County affiliates, you know, meet the people within your state that are over here, you know, running the actual LP. And even if you don't want to be in the LP per se, at least, you know, if you have an issue that's affecting you come to us and maybe we can give you the resources to say, Hey, look, this is what you can do on your municipality, your county level, and your state level to start to make a difference as opposed to just bitching about it online and not doing anything about it. Because like Spike says, we are the power. You are the power. You have it in you to do it. You just have to get out there and physically do it and not just talk about it, but be about it. That's right. All right, man. Well, yeah, great words from you, Steve. We appreciate you as always and have a good night. Thank you, guys. You too. See you. All right, man. Anything you would like to plug? Um, there's been a caucus stood up. It's called the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. Um, not only is it getting bigger every day, because that's to be expected, it's getting better every day. Um, sure. Every meeting we have, we have more people uh, pop on with stuff to contribute, and um, you know, Discord gets more organized. Facebook, Twitter uh, gets more active, so growing and improving every day um come by to hang out at least we also have a discord which you can find on the uh, facebook page the twitter page uh we should have a link tree on all of our posts now 
and we will be tabling events in your city in the imminent future. That's absolutely correct. You cannot avoid us. Also, you can follow OKLP at OKLP.org or look us up on social media. Yeah, but there Um, aren't any veterans in the Oklahoma Libertarian Party. That's true. There are none. None at all. You can also go to LakeNatalieBruno.com and especially NotARealPodcast.com where you can buy merch for me and Braxton and our podcast. But anyway, thanks guys for watching. We love you. We will see you tomorrow night at 6 o'clock on Not A Real Libertarian.